Hi, I'm Marilyn Dennis, and this is Marilyn Dennis Does It Podcast. This episode, I'll be chatting with multiple Canadian Screen Award winner, CTV's chief news anchor and senior editor, Lisa Laflamme. From wars to national disasters to the current COVID-19 pandemic, we're going to find out what it's like for Lisa, personally and professionally, to report on hard-hitting news stories day in and day out. We're also going to find out how Lisa got to where she is today. It's a great story. And what the next chapter looks like for her. All right, let's talk to Lisa Laflamme. Hello. Hello. Uh, Lisa, last time we saw each other was at the opening of Hamilton, the Mervish production here in Toronto. Uh, you know, they only got through like maybe 33 uh, performances and then they were up for 144. And of course, the pandemic came in. Uh, that was the last time I saw you. Th- this is a big game changer that we're living through right now. How are you doing with mm-hmm. all of this? Well, first of all, what an amazing memory that was, uh, because remember how close we were standing? Remember those days when we were able to hug each other? It, it's just, mm-hmm. uh, there are still days seven weeks in that I truly shake my head and say, is this really happening? We are really living this way. It's just such a sea change for everybody on every single level. Um, certainly for us in the newsroom, it's like a... Mm-hmm. Uh, skeletal staff as you can imagine a lot of people working from home some of us who are here in the newsroom and we're taking great precaution but it's a challenge and uh honestly i i wish i had time to journal because i will never believe this in a few years from now that we actually are living this way you know yeah it's it's you now i i look at reporters like yourself and and of course you're anchoring as well and the exhaustion, because it's for all of us, it's it's always going, but you always mm-hmm. have to report on it. Um, and so on how do you like absorb it personally? Because I feel for some of these reporters that I see, they look exhausted. Some of them are on location very carefully, uh, wearing masks. Um, you know, it's it's a tough time. Yeah, I mean, this is a particularly tough time in, in, you know, because we, I basically start my day now at eight, at eight o'clock in the morning because we now do a live broadcast every morning at 11 a.m. Um, coinciding with the prime minister's briefing. And seven weeks ago when he started that, I don't think we realized this would be every single day for seven mm-hmm. weeks. Who knows how long that will go. But um you know, it, it goes in ebbs and flows, to be honest. I think, as all things do, on the exhaustion level, I, I've never been a great sleeper. It's even worse now. And I think we're just running on fuel and coffee and the story, how it's changing. Um, I don't know. And I have a really good cry sessions uh, in my car home, especially last week after the Nova Scotia shooting spree those stories were just, it, it was just in the long-term care homes. It's all in there and you try to park it while you're being professional and asking questions and doing your job. But I do find the the, you know, Natalie McMaster and the duet she did with Emily, who tragically lost yeah. her life in that shooting, did me in. Last Friday night, it was the last thing I did after that week. And honestly, um, that was a very emotional night to for me, as as have all of these days for all of us, to be honest. But we are mm-hmm. facing it head on and just trying mm-hmm. to convey mm-hmm. information, you know. I do remember asking you the last time we were together 
uh, was, you know, how do you, this is before the pandemic, how do you not take it home? And you obviously do take it home. You do have to, mm. uh, my, my next question is, have you cried? And yeah, of course, because you can only mm. absorb so much. And that interview that you did with that man who lost his wife in Nova Scotia mm. and real time finding out, and, you know, we can recap the story in the fact that he did not want to send his wife out to work. She was sent out. She did get shot. She was pregnant. The family did not know. Honestly, that was a moment in, in live television. I had never truly experienced to that degree because he had reached out. He wanted to talk and he, he did want to make a point that the PPE shortage had been such a focus in his own family life with his beautiful wife, Kristen. And so when he started talking and then he conveyed or revealed that she was pregnant and that he hadn't even, they hadn't even had time to tell their family, as you say, I just remember gasping because, you know, you're first a human and then you're a journalist. So I'm listening to this man pour his heart out and, and, and there's, there's every level happening in there. There's anger, there's emotion, there's deep, deep loss and grief and disbelief. And how he said he would never, ever have let his wife leave the house that morning had he known. And I just, I mean, his words ring in my ears since that moment. I don't get it out of my head. How can you? Um, For people Mm -hmm. to trust you, Mm -hmm. first of all, to tell you this is like the Mm -hmm. most personal, horrifying thing you could ever share and uh, it was heartbreaking, truly heart. as were all of the sisters of those who were killed. And no, there's no one that is worse or better or more emotional. It's all gut-wrenching, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I feel like we've had a lot of that over the last uh, few months, but specifically last week. Yes, we did. That's for sure. This uh, pandemic, uh, more people are watching the news now. Uh, more people are weighing in with me about how much news we are watching and how to be careful and not get anxious about it. This is a game changer for news, do you not think? Well, I think it's really interesting. And, and I, at the top of this, I have you know, we are seeing mass layoffs in newspapers across the country and, and, and on various levels because there's no advertising dollars. So I, I have to say that. But yes, clearly, um, this is a public service, uh, essential workers, if you will, to get the information out. People need to know to better protect themselves and their families and how this is changing on every level. The ratings for the newscast, it's funny because it's not even about that. Obviously, we are just so driven to try to do what we can. Everybody wants to do what they can. All I can do is report and chronicle what is happening as the same is the same with my colleagues. But people do in the beginning of the, the first month, it was unbelievable just on every level. I've noticed the last few weeks, there is the last week for sure. Um, Nova Scotia changed it again. It was just a a shocking thing for people to want to understand that. And I do expect a time when people are going to say, I need to tune out for my own mental health. And I completely understand that. Um, This is a time when everyone has to protect themselves against sometimes Mm -hmm. even the truth. And I can't believe I'm saying that, Mm -hmm. but I understand it. I hear it from my own family. Sometimes it's too much. But I, I mean, we've sort of changed our messaging now that we're always here when people need 
the news. We're always here and we will always be here uh, when this moves again and who knows where it's going, hopefully to reopenings. Right. How do you think Canada is handling the pandemic? Um, politically or personally, uh, I think the public is should be, every single Canadian deserves an award for the the level of which they are really uh, obeying, I guess I'll use that word, the requests, mm -hmm. the requirement for physical distancing, for staying at home. If you look at our numbers, uh, yes, every single number, every time I read a number, I think that is a person's life. But when you look mm -hmm. at the situation in New York and, and, and Italy and, and Spain and now the UK, you do have to say Canadians have done a great job of trying to flatten that curve. We're seeing it happen. So I think on that level, um, there's been a lot of understanding that this really, before a vaccine is found, developed, this is the only answer, is just... Uh, following the science, as all of our politicians say they're doing, and making their decisions based on science. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm also in love with all of the creativity we're seeing from Canadians uh, on every age group, trying to reach out to their family members, to send positive messages, to learn how to play the harmonica or <laughs> learn a new language. Yes. There's a lot of creativity out there, and, and we're seeing it, you know? One of the funniest things I saw, and I can't remember what CTV affiliate it was, but they were doing this social distancing. Her microphone was taped to an end of a hockey stick. Yes, that was genius. I think that was a yeah. Kitchener, a C uh, CTV Kitchener reporter who started it, and that was just brilliant. It really was. Yeah, so even in our business, we're trying to come up with ways to, to we call, I call them the beekeepers, you know, the, the shield yeah. that we are seeing on healthcare workers. Well, there's also right. colleagues wearing them, and, and a little shout out to the fabulous Kitchener company, Canadian Shield, who morphed from being an educational company. Now they're making up to 10,000 masks a day. And, and it really uh -huh. is amazing. Again, it's the innovation we're seeing on, on so many levels to change lives. Mm -hmm. That young man that is uh, 12 years old that lives in BC that yes. uh, was doing, doing the, I'm not going to say the news because you're the news person, but I reported <laughs> on Chum, but explain to everybody what this brilliant 12 year old did. I have one here. I don't know. Can I get up and you move? You do? Yeah, get up and move. Yeah, sure. Let me show it's you. Like this, I've got to find it. Like, uh, I'll this, never be he, able to put my, my, my office is such a mess. But what he did was create a mm -hmm. 3D printing so that for all the healthcare workers and all the people wearing masks, it's very irritating on your ears and very tight on your face. And they were seeing bruising on the nurses and the doctors and the healthcare, all the staff. So he created a 3D brace, if you will, that connects onto either end of the, the, the um, elastic on the, the mask, just to give right. it a bit of breathing room, if you will. And one of my colleagues, which I thought was so sweet, we had that story on last week, and he went, he said to himself, I've got a 3D printer. And he went home, this is Constantine in our newsroom, and he made a whole whack of them and he's delivering them to Scarborough General Hospital. Uh, and that was just because he saw that boy in British Columbia and he said, I can do something. I just on I, I could cry just thinking about people aren't sitting there watching the news. They're they're seeing what can I do? 
we are all so in do? this together that right. no one no one gets to sit on the sidelines this time and i think that's one of the things that makes this so hugely unique as a not just as a journalist but as a canadian i bet you when you get when you when you get to do these stories and i i notice that you make sure that you do at least one uh, per newscast there's a good story every day coming out of this because of creativity and necessity too and that's w- which was one of them i mean I, this child has done such a wonderful job over 50,000 people have downloaded that so you know i i love that uh, spirit for sure this um job that you have that you're so good at prevents you now though to travel maybe your maybe your family's happy that you're not going into the you know war war zones uh, you have I you're one of the most courageous people I know going into the story. You know, there has been a couple of occasions when I'm I was looking for you at a CTV event. And I go, where's Lisa? Because I do like hanging out with you, Lisa. And they <laughs> said, oh, she's in Syria. She's in Syria right now. Talk to me about the when you do. I mean, you're all in and I know that. But is the courage? Where did that come from? Is it? You know, I don't mm. know how you do it. So talk to me about uh, that. Where does it come funny. from? It's I, funny. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I remember the very first time I went into Iraq and that was 2003, which is when I really started focusing on war zones. And I really, I, I, I was afraid for sure. I was afraid. I think I cried the night before I left thinking, well, what if this is it? But w- there's something that just kicks in and you realize I've got protective gear. I've got a flak jacket. I've got a helmet. I look around me and I see the average citizens who have no protection and a story that really needs to be told through Canadian eyes. I've always felt that the the benefit of being able to tell these stories outweighs the risk. And, uh, you know, I obviously have the greatest confidence in the cameramen and women that I've traveled with mm-hmm. uh, in these places. We really are a team and we have been over over these years. Uh, you have to believe in your team. And also you, when I'm covering the soldiers, I always say, I just find the biggest soldier and stand behind him and, you know, <laughs> try, try not to be a liability. <laughs> But but I can't explain. It. You feel fear, but you use your fear. It make I always think I feel the most alive I've ever felt is when I could potentially be killed at any moment. And uh, there's been many examples of that. That I don't know. Uh, I've also said to myself, okay, I feel like my nine lives are up. I better slow down on the war zones. And then this job came up. Uh, uh, that I was offered, and it's going to be ten years in September, which shocks me so much to know that it's wow. been that long. But uh, we've still managed to get back to Iraq, even as an anchor. It doesn't slow you down at all. In fact, you realize you you could have a bigger platform in the sense that you can do a whole show. We did entire shows from Iraq just to try to convey mm-hmm. that was at the front line of mm-hmm. ISIS just last year to try to show what the soldiers are doing, what the locals are living through. So I don't know. I'm probably rambling, mm-hmm. Marilyn, as you know, I do no, have a no. tendency to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. But you know what? I, I, I say I re- when I got this job, you got your job. And so we're celebrating oh, wow. uh, our 10th Yay. anniversary. And I can't believe how fast it goes. I often think, though, 
when you do experience these things, and I, I think it's great that you go on location, although I get frightened for you. Um, it's did you have to share the experience when you come home? And I was told, you know, when I went away for foster parents land, you know, this is a great experience that you're having. It was not in a war zone, mm-hmm. but it was like, people will not, they told me people will not quite understand what you experienced. So when you're telling them what you experienced, just understand that they can't really relate to that. Uh, that's a tough thing. Cause you want to share it with your, your better half. You want to share it with your, your family. Mm-hmm. So do you kind of edit that when you come back or is it like, this is yeah, the way it is? I always feel like saying, you know, I, you, you sort of pour it all into the writing of the stories you're telling. And I, I kind of think, Oh boy, by the time I get home, I'm so drained to be honest. I'm, I'm pretty famous for saying, if someone says, how are you? How was it? I would say, fine. It was fine. <laughs> you know, it feels like you've, you've, you've said it all in, in what you've written and what you've broadcast. And um, I don't know. I think I have a blocking mechanism as well, because if I didn't, I'm not sure I could keep going on these things. It, it has helped me over the years to try to just, okay, Mm -hmm. that was Katrina. Now what? That was that. Now what? You know, everybody deals differently with, whatever they face in their, in their job and in their life. And I think Mm -hmm. that one served me well. (laughs) What was a game changer for you in reporting that you knew that was it nine 11? Was it, what was it? Wow. Nine 11 was a funny one because uh, it was my second day on the job as the host of Canada AM. And I remember thinking, you know, I I was loving the job. I was a parliamentary correspondent in Ottawa, and I was loving that. And I was asked to to, to host Canada AM, and I thought, what an amazing experience. But I don't cook in my real life, and I was a little worried about how was that because Canada AM was a as is your morning. It's such a balance between news and and lifestyle, and uh, and then boom, the second day on the job, this story. Mm-hmm. I, I, I knew how to do a breaking news story and ended up in New York city that night. And, um, I think that carried me through to real. And then we ended up doing Canada AM for, again, that was two months. We did it live every morning from, um, central command in Qatar in, uh, in the middle East. Um, so I, I think what it told me is I need to get back to reporting. And so I did that for two years, Canada Am, and realized the Mm -hmm. the pull of Iraq and Afghanistan really was critically important for me. So, um, you know, I I actually feel like that might have been a game changer. It really did tell me where I need to focus my attention and where I felt that I was Mm -hmm. strongest, which is trying to cover that kind of... um, oppression, if you will, on some levels, or Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's hard to explain. Well, um, I I, I know that, first of all, uh, I don't cook either, but I have to do that on my show. (laughs) And secondly, (laughs) there is a a calling, and sometimes you don't know it until there's an absence of something, or or something has been reintroduced to you. And I get that. I get, I get why you did that. There's no doubt about it, but it all comes from somewhere. And I love the story about your father listening to Andy Berry on CBC in the morning. Great, great radio host, 
Yeah, I loved him so much. He was a really nice man, oh, a great storyteller. And you learned a lot from him through your dad. So talk to me about that experience because wow. he was like he used to he used to beat Roger Rick and Marilyn every race. Is that year. right? He had. Oh wow! I have to every, say that I, that I love him. Yeah. What a great memory uh, for you to bring up. It's really in the far reaches right now. And I love remembering that. But as a kid, we used to come home for school, for, for lunch every day as a grade schooler. And every morning or every day at noon, we'd say to my father, who also came home, how old school is that? He came home for lunch uh -huh. every single day. My mother, who is an amazing cook, would make us these beautiful lunches every day, uh, including dessert. Uh, she's a Brit, so she definitely needed to finish off every meal with, with a sweet. But he would, we would say, what did Andy have to say this morning? And my father would tell us the debate of the morning and um, was a big big Andy Berry fan, just uh, loved the chat shows, radio talk shows. And, and that one, Andy always sort of tapped into whatever he was thinking. So it really was our conversation at lunch. And I think it did drive me at that very early age. Um, and in also in those days, we used to watch the lunchtime newscast was 15 minutes and then Flintstones kicked in. So I'm going back to the 70s. I don't know if you remember that. It was a 15 minute. I remember it well. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, we would watch yeah. the we would watch CKCO in their red jackets for that 15 Aww. minutes. Um I'm sure waiting for the Flintstones to start, but I guess somewhere in there all of that between Andy Berry uh my father's influence on that daily current chat. Mm -hmm. And um, and the Flintstones. Here we are. <laughs> here you are. Now here you are. How are your sisters doing? How are you, where are your sisters? And are are they in the media or are they doing something completely different? They're all doing something completely different, and they're all self isolating in Kitchener Waterloo with their families and uh, the kids that are able to, that are still at home. And there, and my mother is also in her house. So the nice part about them all being in the same community is they can have those six foot um, driveway conversations with my mom just to keep her company. And everyone's always dropping food off and that sort of thing. But you know, we've we've got we communicate a million times a day on on you know whatever social media, uh, our own texting family line and. They're all, everybody's the same. We're all just getting through this and waiting for the day we can physically be together. We're worried about a nephew who's been locked down in New York City for two months, another nephew oh in Seattle. Uh, there, there's eight nieces and nephews. They're all over the place. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's a challenge. But I love, again, the creativity. Mm -hmm. My sisters have done everything from baking bread contests, which they post all the pictures of, to starting little gardens, to painting, to, you wouldn't believe it. And I just sort of, I'm working. So I get to see these, whatever, what the real world is doing. And I absolutely love it. It inspires me to, to see that they're all experiencing different levels of creativity as well, while they're mm -hmm. coping with this. Where are you in the family of daughters? I'm number are three. You one, two, three. So, so I'm mine. the third. So that middle middle child syndrome in Maryland. See, we have so much in common. You know, the 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 terribly ignored in the middle, right? <laughs> that okay. Let me tell you. Let me see if you relate to this, Lisa. 
So there would be the family dinners. Oh my gosh. I, I, I love it. Cause I thought, uh, I wonder if she is number three. And then you could never get a word in edgewise. So I would have private conversations and answering people's <laughs> questions and kind of editing as they were talking. And cause I could never get a word in edgewise. How was it for you around the dinner table? Or were you debating all the time? Well, my problem was I was the, the only left-handed kid in the family. And so that, that was kind of a weird thing, just location around the table, to be honest. My father uh -huh. was beside me. And I was the, the, the term we used in our house is lippy. Again, it might be a British expression, but I was always the lippy one. So you were editing people's conversations. I think I was still trying to get in, you know, the loudest voice or something. So, um, uh, there was, yeah, I would say, <laughs> I would say I probably had the biggest mouth. <laughs> I think my sisters <laughs> might agree with that, but I don't know. Uh, we, we are, we are one year apart, all of us too. So we're wow. just such great friends. Yeah. We really have That's gone. Great. And while we fought like dogs as, as teenagers over a sweater or mm -hmm. whatever, I mean, certainly that has grown into being best friends, uh, in our adult wow. life. And, and it's really, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Yeah. I feel the same way. That's very funny that we're the third daughter in his family, <laughs> four girls. Wow. Great memories. That's though. amazing. So I didn't realize you had four as well. Yeah. Four as well. So let's just talk about anyone that is getting into journalism right now. Somebody that is wanting to follow in your footsteps. What do you think the future holds for media? I know that, you know, we talked a little bit about what you did. You went to university. You also uh, were a part of a, a radio show back in the day. And we've talked about your reporting. What would, what do you do? I'm sure you're asked to speak a lot. What is the advice that you give young broadcasters to be these days? First of all, I, I have to say that in, I graduated in 1988 from university and there had been mass layoffs in 88 and I remember thinking, I am never going to get a job in this business. So I say to young mm -hmm. people now, don't ever let the climate of the day drive you out of what is your passion, if it is indeed your passion. And my other advice always is write, 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 write. If you're not writing now, start writing. Become a better writer. Become a better conveyor, a relay, um, reflector of the community and a critical thinker because they, these are the things that will always be important. I mean, no matter what happens in the economy, there will always be a place for the truth, for facts. Now more than ever, we need to yes. make sure that voice is heard in local newsrooms. I just have to stress that because it starts there. You know, especially we look at an emergency like this and we look at, you know, short-staffed local newsrooms and think this is when communities need that information more than ever. And it kind of comes back mm -hmm. to bite anybody who ever uh, laid off staff. And I understand the economic challenges of this. I truly do. Uh, but I also believe that journalism and it, it will always be there. We'll, there will always be a need for um, storytelling and, and this kind of, uh, as I say, truth telling. So never mm -hmm. lose faith is, is my message, I think, to everybody. Uh, passion over a paycheck, first, last, and always. And uh, that's what yes. you need to follow. Yeah, the, yep. paycheck, will the yeah. paycheck will eventually catch up with you if you work hard enough. And if you're 
passion drives you, you can't suppress that, you know, you really can't, yeah. it will hurt uh, you later in life. It, it will, it, it, it will, and, and nothing is like you say, turns you on more than getting into the job that you love and the passion that you have. And I love that you say passion over paycheck. Congratulations. You were named officer of the order of Canada for your career in journalism. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Very exciting. In fact, the induction has been delayed. I, I, they, they gave me the pin last June, which was overwhelming and incredibly humbling. Uh, and the induction was supposed to be April this month. In fact, yesterday. Yes. I think. Mm. And it was yeah. delayed because of the um, pandemic. So I still look forward to that. What I'm sure will be a very amazing moment to have my sisters and my mom around me for that Aww. whenever the day comes. But yeah, no, it was a really, uh, I was stunned. It was just so, such a great honor and I, 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 again, I use that as a as a platform to talk about the humanitarian rights organizations that have been such a huge part of my life, journalists for human rights especially. And I mean, if if on any level things I may have done for these organizations have given me this honor, there are so many who deserve it truly, who are in this day in and day out trying to get messages mm -hmm. out and help in in these countries where free speech is just an expression, you know, there's no sense mm -hmm. of reality to it. No, for sure. Before you go on the air, cause I know you got a busy day. I can't believe you start at eight and what time do you get home at night? I get home at 10 to midnight. Well, there's less traffic now. So, uh, it's right. faster getting home, but, uh, about uh, by midnight, I'm, uh, I'm a hundred percent in my home and you know, that's, that's, that yeah. hasn't changed that part. <laughs> A lot of fans you have out there. Before you go, I want to read a couple of uh, the things that people have left on our website on the Marilyn Dennis Show. I just want to say, this is for you, Lisa. I just want to say a thank you for doing an awesome job keeping me and Canadians in the loop. Uh, one person said, are you okay? We so appreciate you keeping us informed. Wow. Uh, thanks, Lisa, for always being there very sweet it's very sweet and i honestly i thank all the canadians who've reached out with messages just concerned about our me and my colleagues and um you know it, it means a lot it really does it means a lot that people have put their trust in us and that is something i absolutely never take for granted so thank you and marilyn thank you for conveying those messages this morning or today i don't even know what day it is or time it is to be honest <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. Lisa Lipham, I like you so much. I want to get to know you more. And when, when the, someday we can go out for dinner, uh, but I can't go out to dinner. I'd midnight, love but that. we'll figure it out. We're, at, we're <laughs> such opposite ends of the clock. I can't. We when, sure I, are. I want to let we everybody sure. know. When, when we see each other, we're like so happy to see each other. Thanks for your yeah. time today, Lisa. I look forward to seeing you again in a big bear hug. I send a virtual bear hug in, uh, in the uh, interim. I say, I say, I'm going to send it right back to you. Lisa LaFlamme, thank you so much. Have a safe day. Thank you, Marilyn. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Marilyn Dennis does a podcast. New episodes every week. You can download or subscribe on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.